0: Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think, from mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching, dramatic action-adventure novels. Our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com STR for three totally free thrillers you won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com slash str.
1: You have somehow ended up listening to The Stuff That's Real That You Didn't Know Was Real But Also Is Cool Podcast Or... Sturdy Dickwerbayik. Or, uh, never mind. Hey, you've tuned in, and we're going to give this a try. Uh, stuff that's real that you didn't know was real, but also is cool. Podcast with me, Kevin Tomlinson, and more importantly, with my good friend, Nick Thacker who is usually the guy who announces uh and uh, rolls us in so he i don't know if you got a script man i don't know if i just blew the whole intro but here we are
0: clearly based on previous episodes you know (laughs) that there is no script in sight for any of this there is no script
1: (laughs) uh that's kind of the story of my life man i know there is no script maybe that's yet another autobiography title the
0: the kevin Kevin tomlinson Tomlinson story there is no script
1: there is no script the kevin tomlinson story um there is no script, but we do present two articles or two ideas that we've stumbled across that fits the moniker of the show uh, that by being both cool, uh, unknown in a lot of cases, and uh, I said both, but there's three little factors here. It's all—it's cool, it's real, and you may not have known about it.
0: There you go. This thing's
1: a mouthful no matter how I try to describe the show. <laughs> But, uh, so, it's I'm, just I'm it's excited. just cool
0: stuff, it's cool stuff, and maybe cool you knew stuff, about it, but we're, real. Gonna, we're gonna dive into it a little bit because, Ooh. and this is kind of the, the key here, Mr. Tomlinson, we are both thriller authors, and we yeah. love ideas like this because we get to explore um, things that are, um, you know, based on fact, but that can be extrapolated into things that may not be fact, and that's called yeah. fiction, and that's what we do all day, every day. 24/7, 365, however many days a you know the year there like, are.
1: Did you when you are growing up? I don't know. Uh, you're younger than I am, but um, so there were those shows gro- when I was growing up. Like one of them was a show called That's Incredible, and yes. then there was yeah. uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, shows like that, right, where they would mm-hmm. go and find like these weird, real things out in the world, and um, exp- they'd kind of do interviews with people, like. One of the ones I remember from That's Incredible was a guy who was blinded when he was a kid, but could use echolocation uh, Mm. while riding a bicycle. Oh, that's cool! Uh, So stuff like that, right? So that's like that. I when you and I uh, grew up, we decided we were going to write stories that were a lot like that Um, stuff—quirky bits of history or whatever. I remember when I first started writing all the Cotler books, that was the rule. It was uh, misplaced history. Was the That's way I it put it. I advertised it. So, so uh, yeah, I'll go. For, I'll go first this time. Um, so what I did. One of the things I've been trying to do is, whenever I find one of these, I, I've been trying to find stuff that links that kind of link back to something I've written or research on something maybe I'm going to write. Um, so this one in particular. So I released a book of uh, about a year ago now I think uh, called The Sleeper's War and uh, the premise of the book was that it, there's this uh, plant this rare plant that uh was found in uh, the sonoma desert um with ties to greek culture um and the it, the mccure ipri ipra uh, i believe was the name of it you'll have to check me on that um but the plant itself was being used as a way to induce uh, sleep for people who would be traveling into into space. Uh, so it was kind of a hot thing, and uh, the bad guys were after it, and our archaeological hero, Dan Kotler, is enlisted to help because of the connection to ancient Greek, right? So in the book, I talked about several myths about sleepers, and the one we usually remember uh, most is um, Rip Van Winkle who okay. you know fell asleep and woke up like 100 oh, years right. later and the world had changed and so we st- we tend to think of that and that's Washington Irving's uh story that's one of the first american sci-fi stories um in in, in essence but we tend to think of that story when whenever we think about a sleeper who who goes to sleep and wakes up in the future uh and but apparently he borrowed elements from that story from this story which was the seven sleepers of Ephesus, uh and the idea here and i'm looking at an article on britannica.com and i found tons of these things when i was doing my research this is just one of hundreds and hundreds of myths about sleepers okay and a lot of them get tied back to uh christianity in particular but also the muslim faith because there's the idea of resurrection of the dead um, yeah, sure. So yeah. some of these stories get tied back as proof of uh, the resurrection or as a way to, um, to show people that res- res- resurrection wasn't a one-off kind of thing. So uh, in this article, and I'll just read a quick bit of it, it says, Seven Sleepers of Ephesus, heroes of a famous legend that, because it affirmed the resurrection of the dead, had a lasting popularity in all Christendom and in Islam during the Middle Ages, According to the story, during the persecution of Christians in 250 CE, um, under the Roman Emperor Decius, seven, sometimes eight in other versions, uh, Christian soldiers were concealed near their native city of Ephesus in a cave to which the entry was later sealed. There, having protected themselves from being forced to do pagan sacrifices, they fell into a miraculous sleep. And during the reign of the East, the Eastern Imp- Roman Emperor Theodosius II, and that was 408 to 450 CE. Uh, the cave was reopened, the sleepers awoke, and the emperor was moved by their miraculous presence and by their witness to their Christian doctrine of the body's resurrection. Uh, having explained the profound meaning of their experience, the seven died, whereupon <laughs> Theodosius ordered their remains to be richly enshrined, and he absolved all bishops who had been persecuted for believing in the resurrection. So it is a tale of seven early Christians who basically slept for about 200 years, um, 150 to 200 years in a cave, which is very similar to uh, the story of Rip Van Winkle, uh, but is also similar to a whole bunch of other myths that if you, you go digging, you, you will uh, uncover. I was actually kind of fascinated by the number of times this theme Comes up in history we, you've got all kinds of stories of gods and goddesses and demigods and things that that go to sleep and wake up you know centuries late years later or centuries right. later um, so there's something to that i'm a big fan of what's termed uh, in the archaeological archaeological circles as uh, comparative mythology which is something that if you're a follower of guys like graham hancock and all, basically, anybody who was uh, a guest star or guest interview on Ancient Aliens, um, <laughs> comparative mythology is the idea that even disparate cultures who, that had nothing to do with each other often have similar uh, uh, sort of iconic um, things in their mythology a great so, example
0: is the flood myth right i mean we've got obviously is the biggest. biblical flood we've got uh, from even greek to egyptian to um the uh early um uh syrian culture things like that that, yeah. that talk about a flood myth even all the, way the over mesoamerican to cultures the mesoamericans and yeah. um this south american called you know inca maya or the aztec and uh and inca have the yeah. same sort of thing and so um, it, what it comes down to, Kevin, is like, you know, these disparate cultures probably each embellish the story their own way, but the story is based on factual history. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I and love I'm reading this story as, as you're talking about it. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I wonder if there's something here, if, if you know, maybe it wasn't these seven people and maybe it wasn't 250 years, but something crazy happened. <laughs> yeah. Is kind of how you yeah. can sum this up. Right. And we don't know yeah. what that crazy thing was.
1: Yeah, we know um, that most mythologies have a some sort of root in uh, something historic and factual. Uh, the details can sometimes be a little skewed, but in general, you know, it's not so it's not so uncommon. And if you think about it, the the myth of the sleeper has permeated a lot of our culture for many many centuries. I mean, think about Sleeping Beauty as one example. Um, in more modern history the story of captain america he actually mm, crash mm-hmm. lands in the arctic and sleeps Destroy. for 50 yep. years so yeah. you know this idea of uh, and you know I, it, one of my um series uh the citadel series you know it uses a technology that's become kind of a mainstay in sci-fi which is the idea of um, uh, capsules um, cryogenic sleep capsules um so you know this idea now has some scientific root. like we are actually science is actually looking for ways and that's the the root of sleepers war is that science is looking for ways to induce um stasis which means that all activity in the body stops so that the body can be transported basically it's like being able to go to sleep on the airplane and wake up in your destination um but in, instead of being dehydrated and having to pee really badly, you would still have the taste of the Cheetos you ate just before you went under uh, in your mouth. So that's the gist of that whole.
0: <laughs> you you where, and I have very that's, that's different experiences going. when we fly, apparently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wake up with Cheeto dust and uh, yeah, the smell of hand sanitizer in my nostrils. Um so, so what do you yeah. think happened
0: here? It was this, I mean, did, did these guys really walk into a cave and fall asleep and then wake up 250 years later? I mean, I know that's the myth, but, but what do you think actually yeah. is going on here? I mean, it's hard to say because
1: it's, first of all, I mean, it, it is early years in the in the uh, Christian faith. Uh, it, what I think is interesting is they were they went into the cave to escape persecution and being forced to do something that was against their faith. And then when they emerged from the cave their very existence was used to prove that that what they what they stood for was mm. was upright and correct so um, I think it's interesting though that they would they would uh, that the whoever told the story first if it's not if there's no fact behind it what made them come up with the idea that there was a 200 year gap between going in and coming out like Right, And so when was the story written? And you would presume it was probably written in and around or written. I mean, it was probably first told in and around 400 to 450 uh, common era uh, CE. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that would be 400 years after the uh, birth and death of and resurrection of the, of Christ or any figure similar to Christ. So, um, yeah, I'm not
0: man. I just can't say for sure. So, I, I, so I've so i got a couple of theory. theories. Well, actually, I've got a theory that, um, so what I like to do in my books, and I know you're the same way with the, um, with anything that's not sci-fi or fantasy, um, and I don't write those very, I mean, sci-fi a little bit, but I, I do thrillers that are modern day science, um, yeah. bleeding edge science, right? So, so technology yeah. that's kind of almost here, that, you know, ripped from the page of popular science magazine. Now. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it may not be stuff that, you know, you, you turn the light switch on and, and you can teleport, but you know, teleportation is something we're we're studying in quantum physics right now. So right, we extrapolate that into some anyway. The point is by the end of the book, uh, well, the whole book, you've got this weird um unknown mystery going on, usually that the bad guy is using for nefarious purposes. Um, right. right. And then by the end of it, I try as hard as I can to tie it back to here's how this could happen in, in the real world, and here's what the the here's what the gag is, right? Here's here's the joke. Yeah, here's the punchline. Right. And so for this story, the seven sleepers of, of Ephesus, um, I, I hear the punchline as what if Kevin, you take these, these guys, this, um, let's call it say seven. It's just like the, 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 um, we three Kings and in biblical, um, Christmas history. We don't actually know there were three of them. Right. But there were wise men that came, um, from the East. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, certain number of them. And they gave the the three gifts that they gave gold, frankincense and myrrh were were known. So we say there was three of them. Anyway, let's say it wasn't seven, but some amount of people hid from um, the was it the Romans um, in order Uh, to escape persecution? Yeah. Um, So they wouldn't have to do pagan sacrifices, which is probably a good reason to hide because some of them might have been the sacrifice. Um, (laughs) We don't know if they fell into a miraculous sleep because they were inside a cave and then yeah. that cave got sealed up. And then they popped out 250 years later. So imagine the, the punchline of this book could be, it turns out if, because this this story exists in so many different, like you said, um, cultures, um, yeah. Greek, Syriac, Coptic, Georgian, um, it's even shows up in the Quran, right? So it's probably based on some facts. So anyway, I'm getting to the point here. I think the fact could be this cave was actually a cave network. And yeah. there were multiple entrances. And so the one they went in was the only one that was known. They thought it was just one small cave, but it ended up getting sealed up. But no one knew there were people inside, right? They, the people right. who sealed it were like, hey, we're going to seal this cave. Is anyone in there? In there, in there. In there. And they didn't hear yeah. anything. And so they sealed it up. But what happened was the people who originally walked in kept going and popped out in this miraculous lush valley. And that's where they lived for 250 years. Yeah, um, you know, And they had the whole little village and everything but they thought they were secluded and isolated, you know, in this valley. And eventually some explorers from, from that new civilization walked through a different cave and popped out the other side um, that some people thought was the same cave 250 years earlier. And, and so that's how you could get kind of a,
1: I, I, I some had a people similar asleep, idea. Right? Now in okay. my book, I, I wanted it to be more literal. So I came up with a, a, a natural source of, of stasis right which was that plant uh the here yeah, hyp- yeah. makir ipno which i think was greek for hypno is the root of our word hypnosis hypnosis so I, yeah I'm, you know a sleeper um but uh, i i was thinking about it as you were talking i thought you know what would be cool uh and you kind of went in this direction um is what if this was a group of people uh who went into this cave and it we know that there are underground cities we're starting mm-hmm. to discover more and more of them entire civilizations more like that Turkey, right? There's
0: like huge yeah. multi-level underground. Yeah. That's crazy. Exactly.
1: So, you know, what if it wasn't the original seven, but was instead uh, these seven priests or seven leaders. Uh, and so every generation in this, in this uh, underground uh, civilization they chose seven to bear those names and bear their crests right and, that's and that I sort was of thinking. thing yep. and train yeah. them in the legends so basically you know for, it was a form of cultural reincarnation so mm-hmm. that once that uh cave was opened up they emerged and they proclaim themselves to be these these characters and the romans have records and they say oh my god they're they're real. And so that became the legend and the legend came fact. And now we have, you know, thousands of years of Christianity as a,
0: these, a these scurvy immune the humans walked into I'm a cave. so totally <laughs> going to write this book now. <laughs> you need to answer the vitamin D question. They, they, they didn't suffer from scurvy because <laughs> blank, blank, blank. They ate some flower uh, that grew in the cave. <laughs> Gave yeah, them the I, D I like
1: it. your idea of, I and mean, I've written about in some of my other books about uh, underground, um, Sort of stealing from the Jules Verne's uh, Journey to the mm-hmm. Center of the Earth, where there was a a whole ecosystem underground. You know, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. So maybe it's something along those lines, or maybe there were shafts of some. In in my in Sleepers War, they go they do actually do go underground uh, in the Sonoma Desert, where this plant is growing in a cavern that has a water supply from an underground waterfall, but also has um, in the in the Mountains of the region There are these crystal deposits that basically Bounce light around until it ends up Inside gotcha. the cavern So yeah. there's light There's water And, and this plant just proliferate, proliferates Throughout the entire uh, Cavern go. That's Board. That was my solution There were no people there There were right. people who knew about it and visited There until they, their civilization Ended But the plant had grown uh, un molested for centuries oh
0: i like that yeah that's yeah cool. you should read the book <laughs> <laughs> i, I might i might have read that i might have i might have picked that one up i'll link well, to the whatever book too, by the way the idea there is
1: um history and the mythology are rife with stories of the sleeper and um they're very similar usually very similar half the time i'd say maybe even three quarters of the time the, uh, the sleeper um, literally just goes to sleep with no, there's no explanation as to why they wake up a mm. century later. There was another story um, I read that was based that, that um, they think may have been more the root of this story about the seven sleepers. They say was definitely something that Washington Irving uh, had read and considered, uh, but there was another story more recent about um, someone taking, a uh, kids taking a nap under a tree, and when mm-hmm. they got back to their their little village that they lived in, um, they didn't rec- no one recognized them. They didn't recognize anybody. Everyone spoke a different language, and it was, like, oh, okay. Spanish settlers or something. Huh. Um, so there's lots like of stories story. like that. People love stories
0: like that. Yeah, I did one uh, from my book Relics where uh, Myers yeah. wakes up and he's, he's, it's this post-apocalyptic hellscape. And he sees a sign that says Istanbul. And, of course, it's just this demolished city. And yeah. he, he doesn't remember anything. He walks in and somebody finally recognizes him and goes, dude, you're the president of the United States, but, like, eight years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't remember anything. So, yeah. yeah, that's, thats yeah, it's all kind of, I love that kind of stuff. That, the oh, time travel, see, you just opened
1: hopping. up a whole new vein there. Because now you can lump in stories like uh, Walking Dead, where Rick Grimes wakes yes. up. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. After the apocalypse, or, or eight days later, or um, you know, several of the the movies, where and television shows where somebody was in a coma or something. Right. Um, right. So comas, that could comas be a are great for fiction
0: authors because we can just yeah. do so much can happen while someone's in a coma. We, we use the hell of a coma
1: <laughs> because once the coma. So that's and I think one of the reasons why that is a useful trope for uh, especially thriller writers is that because look and think about Jason Bourne, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us a chance to handle exposition
0: in a way that
1: feels natural, but is still just as ham-fisted as just doing a data dump on people.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, that's good stuff, man. Well, what did you bring to the table? I've I've cooked up something good that, uh, this one's probably less in the realm of stuff you didn't know about, but definitely 100% absolutely in the realm of stuff. That's really cool. Um, I'm going to tell a little story here, and Kevin's probably going to know right away where I'm going with it. But this story is actually the denouement scene or scenes of a previous story called the Manhattan Project. So we've got these guys who um, are all working together, these buddies, and they're at Los Alamos National Laboratory um, in New Mexico, United States. And they have just come off the high horse of dropping their science project on Nagasaki and Hiroshima in in the the mid-40s. Right. And so we all know that story. This is 1950, and they're still there at Los Alamos. They're still um, hanging out together. They're still eating lunch and stuff. And one day at lunch, one of them exclaims all of a sudden, Where are they? Or, according to another guy's remembrance of this conversation, Don't you ever wonder where everybody is? Where is everybody? And everybody laughed. And the reason everybody laughed was, These guys were all working on studying anomalies like unidentified uh, flying objects. They were studying space. They were studying the potentiality of extraterrestrial life. And the guy who asked the question, we all know as Fermi, F-E-R-M-I, right? Yeah. Enrico Fermi. um, He's an Italian-American physicist. And he has um, a scientific, uh, essentially mind game associated with his name called the Fermi Paradox. And that's what I think is really cool and stuff that people may not know. But the whole idea of the Fermi Paradox and the reason he asked this question, where is everybody? And everybody started laughing was the paradox essentially is, hey, we know that there are billions of stars in the Milky Way, that's just our galaxy. Billions of stars, just like our sun in our own galaxy. Now, without even getting into how many other galaxies there are, right, trillions upon trillions, just within our own galaxy, there's billions of stars just like the sun. So with a very high probability, these physicists who are smarter than me, I'll go ahead and admit, have said some of these stars are going to have Earth-like planets. And many of these stars, and hence the planets next to them, are much older than the sun. Now, I'm reading from Wikipedia's article on this, but this is a really good overview of the Fermi paradox. So if the Earth is typical in our galaxy, if if there's a lot of Earths around, some of those Earths may have, and some would say should have developed intelligent life long ago. So some of those civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, right? And we're talking, I mean, mathematically speaking, this is incomprehensible numbers. So the statistically, uh, the statistic probability of other Earth-like planets developing intelligent life is actually astronomical, like it should have happened. Yeah. So the Fermi paradox is, where are they? Where are the people? Where are all the other aliens? Where are, every, where are the, all these civilizations that should exist? Um, I, I just, I've always loved this paradox. I think I read about it originally in like a Scientific American um, or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's before, you know, we, as kids, you know, we all watch movies and we're, oh, the aliens are cool, oh, little green guys with big heads. Um, but when you grow up a little bit and, and, you know, just a little bit about science and stuff, it, it starts to be, a pretty mature question like what where is everybody like realistically speaking why are there no other not even human like but just other mammal mammalian like or reptilian or anything um that we that we you know we've never heard anything so um that's the that's the gist of it there's a couple you know postulations about you know where where those people might be and we can get into some of that, but, uh, just at, at that, I mean, you obviously know this paradox, Kevin, and, um, it's something you've written about in your sci-fi stuff too, but, um, yeah, I've always been fascinated by this one.
1: Yeah. And, um, there's been re- fairly recently, there were, there are people, there are, there are physicists taking, you know, pot shots at, um, at the Fermi paradox and the, and the equation itself. And there's sort of an updated equation, uh, and I I kind of feel like that's a little bit of a cop out, but you know science, you, we gotta keep moving <laughs> forward. Um, sure. But the, you know the updated equations are like you know well the chances are a lot less than we we thought, you know. So and I'm always fascinated when that sort of thing happens because it's like well we decided to change the formula and now it's uh, things aren't as exciting as you thought they were. Like well right. what how in what way did you change the formula but whatever that's <laughs> that's the way that stuff yeah, are works are there fewer um,
0: stars now or are there you know you're just like calling earth like you <laughs> I know is, it's that, more is, that the, that, is the goalpost moving right
1: yeah they, they it's more that they've changed some of the criteria for for what would improve the odds of life on a planet you know right but i'll tell you the thing that that has been kind of nagging at me and this is an old theory as well um but it's getting new life now um and that is the holographic theory um and it's the idea it's sort of if you've seen the film series the matrix then you're on the right track it's the idea that we're living in a simulation um and there's a whole lot that kind of tags along with this that there's theoretically a limit to what we could actually accomplish within the simulation uh for example could we as if we are living in a simulated universe would we be able to create a simulation so so advanced that we could create you know billions and billions of of other simulated re- uh, realities and they the for a long while they thought that um no you would run out of processing power uh because that's that's just the way computers work now though since we've been tinkering with ideas like quantum computing uh, mm-hmm. where instead of a two-bit process or a 30-bit sort of program or 64-bit program, you know, um, instead of two bits on and off, in quantum computing, it's like 18 bits on or off. And so your permutations become in the multiple trillions or quadrillions. I mean, as far as, you know, that's why something encrypted with quantum, a quantum computer could potentially be unencryptable without that same quantum computer like there's theories like that so i feel i know it sounds like i've gone far afield here but the what that means is if we are living in a simulated reality then the fermi paradox may have completely underestimated the number of realities of, or number of worlds there could be but it's right. looking in the wrong place
0: so right. this gets into the parallel universe kind of theories as the well. The whole multi-worlds things,
1: yeah. theory right. mm-hmm. and yeah so, Which sounds so, f-
0: you know, Family Guy did a, a great thing about the multiverse, you know, and it's so humorous and, and hilarious, but it's also so scientifically um, plausible. Uh, just the, and again, I'm not a, a scientist at all, but I, I love this stuff. Um, yeah. I'm the guy who, after watching Interstellar, bought Kip Thorne's, he's the physicist they, they consulted for that movie, um, yeah. who's a, re- a very real physicist and very smart guy who wrote yeah. an entire book. It's like a coffee table kind of thing because it's beautiful pictures and, and renderings and all that but he explained all the science in there um, and dumbed it down enough for a guy like me to understand. So I'm the nerd who's like, well, I didn't go to school to be a physicist, but I know a little bit about physics and this kind of stuff gets just, in my opinion, infinitely more plausible, the more science and mathematics we throw at it. Yeah. Right. Um, Meaning a plausible being that there's other life out there somewhere. That's the plus. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Right. right.
1: Yeah. That's that's what I believe as well. And I, you know, that the whole point of science is to create more questions and answers. Honestly, I mean, we're always pursuing the answers, but science is all about creating more questions. You know, what, yeah. Where science are we is the going whole idea next? of
0: it is we want to know the answer, and so in order to find the answer, we're going to try to disprove our working theory, our working hypothesis. Right.
1: Exactly, um, and that's right. what science so, is. That's
0: the scientific method: is to try to disprove what's been what we think is of is proven.
1: Right. So yeah. So I, uh, I, I've always been fascinated by the Fermi paradox. I've always been fascinated by you know the, that question. If you ever watched the film Contact. Um, oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Carl Sagan's book. Uh,
1: Matthew yeah. McConaughey's uh, line in there to me always it was it was Carl Sagan's line first, but. You know, McConaughey's line in that film was, uh, right, if there's right. no life out there, it's it's an incredible waste of space. Or maybe that yes. was Sissy Spacek or somebody else's line. Who was too long. Like, who was a, in the, I don't remember. Was like I don't even remember who was in the <laughs> movie. All I know is Matthew McConaughey was in the movie. Uh, and I thought that was his line. It was definitely Carl Sagan's line in the book. Uh, the incredible waste of space made the most sense to me out of every theory of reality that I'd ever heard, because why would there set aside your belief in a deity, set aside your belief in anything that could influence the creation of the universe. If even the universe just evolved on its own, we can look at evolutionary systems down to the microscopic level, the subatomic level, and we never, ever see such a phenomenal waste of efficiency, energy, and space, ever. Right. Um, so there's if, if we've always kind of considered that the universe itself is a macrocosm of a micro of the subatomic world, microscopic world. Mm-hmm. I think that that bears out. Uh, so there's no reason to believe that we are living in, uh, as an isolated incident. Yeah, uh, and I, I take
0: it to mean like reality. You know, <laughs> these. Yeah, the laws of thermodynamics. You know, if if they're true, um, in at least classical physics, that um, you know entropy, which is this idea that everything kind of slides into chaos, it's actually yeah. you know everything's kind of slides toward the least resist, least yeah. amount of resistance. Meaning, um, if there's order, it's because that's actually the cheapest, most efficient method. Of, of right. putting these things together, right? And so, if we look at humanity and civilization, and, and just really any life, as potentially, now this takes kind of God out of the equation, and I, I, I'm not actually doing that because I think that there is a space for God, but that's not what this podcast is about. But anyway, just taking that momentarily out of the equation, um, if we agree that you know this entropic method that humans are the least, um, or the the most efficient method for for the universe to kind of coalesce then why wouldn't that same coalescence happen on another earth-like planet yeah. um and so that's kind of where i'm going it's like well if which if this is also kind of naturally the s- happened then it yeah it the same
1: this- argument for the idea of the humanoid figure as being a, d- a default template for exactly this. yeah right um, so what we ha- really honestly we have no way to know if there is intelligent life beyond earth uh, there's any, the, the likelihood is that it looks, acts, thinks, and behaves nothing like us at all. Um, right. So it's sort of the height of arrogance to uh, assume that a man-shaped figure is going to step off of a saucer and greet us with right. his three-fingered hand
0: um it makes good tv but, but exactly it you, may look more like an orc cloud you know <laughs> yeah. i remember yeah.
1: watching um there was the, the there's those tv show uh, tv series on i think history channel or just or discovery science maybe some one of those networks and it was life after life after humanity or something mm. i think was the name of it life after humans um and what it did was a progression of like what would happen if human, basically the premise was human beings just flat out disappeared. We just vanished one instant. Uh, so the great rapture or something, you know, but we were there one second, we were gone the next. So what happens to the world without us in it? So there was a whole cascade of horrible things that happened like nuclear meltdowns and stuff like that. But then, you know, they kept going like here's a hundred thousand years in the future and 200,000 and a million years. Um, one of the things that they posited was that the most likely species on the planet to evolve into a a sentient life form was the octopus.
0: Yeah. I was just going to, I was going to say, it's gotta be the
1: octopus. Yeah. And they actually had them. Now, if you think about it, because of the octopus, now one of the things that that aided human beings in becoming intelligent was the size of our cranium, which is why we are born, uh, basically premature by nature like we're we're born and have to be cared for whereas Mm -hmm. every other animal in in nature is born and is essentially ready to start walking and right uh you know fending for itself to some degree you know we are in a larval state for the first you know year or so (laughs) of our lives um but the octopus sometimes like
0: 18 years or more
1: sometimes more i mean i (laughs) i'm 48 uh so the octopus, though, has a, a, an evolutionary advantage over a lot of other creatures in that its cranium is completely fluid. Like it's, right. it can get as big as it needs to. Um, now that means also, it's not, it's because it doesn't have a skeleton, right? Right. So it's a, it's essentially a pneumatically based creature. <laughs> right. It's uh, a balloon. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the theory would be they would eventually. Uh, without humanity on land And other mammals on land To be a natural predator for it It would eventually venture onto land It could probably manage to survive For long periods By taking in oxygen from the water And, and essentially holding it In its, in yeah, its own a, a sponge, Self-contained yeah. you know, scuba gear uh, mm-hmm. And then eventually it would become Because it's got eight arms It could grab onto things Swing from tree limbs, etc., it would become mm-hmm. basically what our our hands became. Its entire body could become, yeah. and so yeah. over time it would evolve into a fully intelligent species with its own mathematics, science, and history. Um, and the world would look incredibly different than the way, the way it looks now. When I saw that, it was like it was like turning on a light in my brain. Like there's literally no reason why. If if that's what science thinks could happen here after humanity goes away, there's no reason why something like that doesn't exist already out in the universe or the multiverse somewhere. Right. Um, right. So yeah. Anyway, we we kind of meandered, and it's my fault. But um, no, no, it's
0: good. It's good stuff. Where man. is
1: everybody? Is the that is a very valid question.
0: Yeah. where the hell and, is everybody <laughs> there are I'll, I'll drop some links here of course in the show notes so if you're listening you want to hear you want to read more um from from actual scientists uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff out there but yeah. um i love the fermi paradox not only for its question um but also because um it is it's a pretty simple question like anyone can understand that question and some of the yeah. some of the uh the answers to the question are what you should read um we can't yeah. don't have time to get into all of them but there's things like the great filter uh, that's just absolutely fascinating. And, and what my favorite kind of uh, answer, if you will, to this, um, and I don't remember where I read this, but it was, um, it was the idea that um, we're, we just don't have the technology or equipment to hear any of it. Maybe there's all these, so basically thinking, um, the, the analogy that was given that I love was, imagine walking into a busy lobby of a New York City skyscraper where there's people everywhere checking cell phones, computers and phones ringing and all that stuff. Um, there's all kinds of radio frequencies going around. And then you turn on a walkie talkie set to one frequency and um, you're talking to one person on the other end that says, Hey, do you have any, any sign of life? Is there anything on the radio? Yeah. And then you say, Nope, nothing at all. There's no if one here. <laughs> yeah. If your
1: perception were only based on signals and the signal, the only signal you were capable of uh interpreting was the one going between those two walkie talkies you would miss all the cell phones You'd miss all everything the else tablets all the, yeah anyway.
0: all the completely exactly. different and, not, and that's just in one that's just in the the whole bandwidth of frequencies i mean there's all kinds of what, I mean, what about light the light wave you know frequency and anyway there's all kinds of crazy stuff that yeah. i just love that that analogy because it really made sense to me it was like oh yeah maybe there's all kinds of stuff buzzing around that we don't even know um I know, like, what are those little things that, that fly through um, the Earth? <laughs> the little tiny particles? Um, gosh, what are they called? Like, like muons or um, you're talking about like, quarks? That, yeah. um, quarks, maybe. Uh, no, that's not quarks. I can't remember it. Yeah. I'll have to cut that out. Um, I'll have to figure it yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we out. We'll have to cut our ignorance out of the podcast.
0: Um, Dude, we, we don't want to sound dumb. Uh, no, no there's something. That, a, a, yeah, I can't remember what it was. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some, something simple as a photon, but like something that we didn't know we could measure until we accidentally yeah. started measuring it essentially right and then now we're like oh right. this shit's all around us it's everywhere it's interesting
1: I'm reading a book right now called uh, the intention experiment and it is a, a sort of scientific look at the potential for things like you know is there's actually a lot of research into fields like um, ESP remote healing things like that mm-hmm. uh, this and the author of this book wanted to s- explore the, the actual science behind all this stuff and see. Like who's discovered what um and there are a there are studies there's tons and tons of studies this is a real thing um that um basically every living thing emits and receives light and it's not like we can perceive with our naked eye most of the time but it is there and it hints at a continual field of connection between all living things uh so the force you know um, if you are a Star Wars fan,
0: but mm-hmm.
1: um, you start thinking about that. And, and sometimes those signals can be disrupted by things like cosmic rays. And, you know, there's a, there's all these studies that show um, if you were to put someone in a room that was uh, built like a Faraday cage where it blocked out electromagnetic mm-hmm. uh, or electrical impulses, um, you can do certain tests and measure uh and see you know an increase here and a decrease there uh so still there was, midichlorians <laughs> there's still midichlorians and uh you're still the chosen but still the chosen? that's that shows you immediately like there's just something we're only on the cusp of, of even knowing exists uh, right. so in, in terms of communication we could be currently bombarded by communication from a billion different cultures and civilizations but we haven't developed ears to hear uh right as you exactly would, as you would phrase biblically uh They're we all don't saying, have hey, ears to get hear out of the way see. the bad yeah. guys are coming
0: get out of the way yeah. what are you doing They're like move the move yeah. your planet <laughs>
1: hey stop irradiating yourselves we'd like to come right. you know
0: <laughs> exactly turn
1: off all the emf um anyway great topic anyway. man i I can yeah, spend I could, that seriously for hours. A good one.
0: <laughs> Same. And, and, I, and I have spent hours on it. You know, I, I, I've i forgotten more about it than I remember, but it is Same. the Fermi paradox is absolutely fascinating to me. So, um, you know, I, we'll try to touch on stuff like this. I, I like the scientific stuff um, a lot, even though I don't know enough about it because um, it's cool, it's real. Um, yeah. And uh, and there's just more that we don't know than, than we do.
1: I have an engineering background. And so this stuff has always. Been kind of part of my uh, mental landscape.
0: Well, just because you drove I, trains, man, doesn't mean that you can I make barely, it, it seem like you're a. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I, I I say that because I want everyone to oo and awe over my credentials. But the truth is, even if you studied uh, and specialized in a field, it's also, it's it's kind of rare for you to. I mean, you're just never going to know all of it, and you're never right. going to understand all of it. Um, right. It's the our goal on this show
0: is to get you listener as close as possible to knowing all of it. So that's uh, a, yeah. that's our task here. So
1: congratulations, everyone. You are one podcast closer to knowing <laughs> it
0: all. It's a tall order, but that's what we're here. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. We're here yeah. for your success.
1: So do we want to go ahead and we're, we need to go ahead and wrap up, I guess. Let's wrap um, up. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, and if you were interested in today's topics uh, and you know, you were, why don't you slip over to stuff. That's real.com. That's, that's where we're uh, hosting. uh, That's the home of the podcast, but you're also going to be able to, you'll catch up on back episodes. You'll find links to me and Nick uh, and the stuff that we do, but you'll also be able to send us a note and tell us the kind of stuff that's real that you want to hear more about uh, so that we can maybe cover that in a future episode. We're always looking for sources and we are lazy as hell. So uh, send us links to articles, videos, and anything else you can think of. Nick, you want to throw anything in there before we no,
0: shut it down? No, that's good, man. If if you've got something that is real that we didn't know was real, but also is cool, look at that. I didn't. I got it. I got it all. <laughs> I, then, I uh, it. Then, and then head on over to stuffthat'sreal.com and find us. Uh, find us there.
1: <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a bumper sticker, but you need a big ass bumper. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you all next,
0: see you next week. Stuff that's real. Looking for a great new thriller? Check out Conundrum Publishing. We publish books that make you think, from mind-bending thrillers to heart-wrenching, dramatic action-adventure novels. Our books will keep you up all night, turning the pages, eager to find out what happens next. So, what are you waiting for? Head over to conundrumpub.com slash str for three totally free thrillers. You won't be disappointed. Again, three full-length action thrillers totally free at conundrumpub.com/STr.